Writer's Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fan fiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Lanny, aka Copper Dust, and I'm here today without my usual co-host Joe. This episode was recorded over the course of several weeks during our non-overlapping summer holidays when we recorded separate episodes interviewing others. Today you'll hear my interviews with two fandom writers and artists as we discuss the topic of multimedia in fan fiction. Here I'll define multimedia in fan fiction as the inclusion of any non-text-based elements in a fic. For example, visual art, graphic design elements, video, music, or any other type of media. I'll be speaking with CBG, an origami artist from Singapore who illustrates her favorite fics with custom origami, as well as Ruby, an American fic writer who includes fragments of visual text into her work using a clever mix of images and HTML programming. Usually Joe suggests you get yourself a cup of tea before listening, but today I'm going to be suggesting an ice cap because that's my personal favorite caffeinated drink, but uh, you can drink whatever you like. Okay, so I'm here with CBG, who is joining me um, all the way from across the world. CBG, do you want to share where you're living? Yeah, uh, I'm in Singapore right now. So um, I wanted to interview CBG because she does some really interesting stuff with uh, kind of illustrating fan fictions with origami, which is something that I'd never seen before. Um, so I wanted to ask you, before we get onto the subject of origami, um, how did you sort of get interested in fan fiction? Like, when when did you discover it? Oh, I've actually been um, a reader in, in the fandom since, like, I think seven years now. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't actively creating anything. I was just um, lurking and uh, reading fanfics. And, but I only recently got into uh, creating because of this idea of origami, actually, because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how I could contribute uh, in terms of creation. So it was a good start to um, try something that I had seen before, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, and see how I could uh, build it up into a bigger thing. Were you interested in origami first, like before you were ever into fan fiction? Oh, yes. I did learn uh, basic things in school and like from my parents, but mm-hmm. I didn't have the any inspiration to continue so like fandom was a really big source of inspiration for me to Mm -hmm. uh, learn new things and what would you call your kind of gateway fandoms into getting interested in that world oh uh, harry potter for sure Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i started off as a reader in it and i'm still here making a lot of fan art for it yeah Mm -hmm. so (laughs) um how did you begin with doing the origami as an illustration? Like, were you illustrating one of your own stories or did you find somebody else's story and make illustrations for that? Oh yeah, it was uh, someone else's. It was just a random idea I had because um, something that I was folding reminded me of a fic that I had read. So I was like, uh, what if I wrote a quote from it on something that I folded. And from there, I just like started getting um, ideas from reading others' fix and uh, taking some scenes or maybe the essence of the whole thing mm-hmm. and uh, folding things to represent that. So when you're reading a story and you're thinking you want to make a piece of origami, what are you looking for? Like, are you looking for a specific object in the story that would be an appropriate object for making origami? Or are you looking for more like an overall theme and then a symbolic image? Like what? Like, how do you choose the image? That's a very good question. 
Uh, it depends on the the type of fic. It's hard to tell how what I would be inspired by. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like very clearly an object uh, mm-hmm. in the story, especially if let's say, for example, if Draco is actually folding something, I'll be like, oh, I want to try folding it out too, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I do uh, fold the objects present in scenes sometimes, mm-hmm. like. But sometimes I also uh, capture the vibe of maybe the whole story, and mm-hmm. I think I've started to do, started to do that like a bit more as compared to at the start when I was just feeling my way through it. So it's more interesting. Yeah. Could you give us an example of like a story you've read and what it's about and what kind of origami objects you made for it? For example, there was this. Uh, okay, I'll give you like an example of one where the objects were very clearly from the fic. Mm-hmm. So it was a collab I did with. Uh, Vukovic for a fest and um, there were like cranes in the fic itself. We decided that I would make like a, um, there was a crane wreath so I made an actual crane wreath. The whole flow was just centered around using cranes in different ways mm-hmm. and also like just little objects within the scenes itself that I could uh, fold and actually bring to life. And if I was to pick one where it was more abstract like with the essence of it. Yeah. Okay, so recently I did a project and I'm, uh, in which I got people to like uh, make stuff through me for their friends. Uh, mm-hmm. It could be based on their fix or whatever. And one of them was um, a fake. I, I read it and then I was just, the gifter gave me a few mm-hmm. words to work with. Uh, anti-gravity, a forest, mm-hmm. <laughs> and galaxy. So I was like, wow. Anti-gravity and is a pretty simple origami object we all made as kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I wanted to capture the concept of anti-gravity, so I mm-hmm. actually made like uh, were, I had a wooden board, mm-hmm. and so I pasted the stuff that I folded on it, so it would look like it's floating. Mm-hmm. And then the galaxy themes was with the stars and the type of paper I used because I have paper that actually has a galaxy print on it, so mm-hmm. it was super fun to use that. And uh, the forest was like just uh, a row of like trees and stuff below. Uh, use like. The colors is based on the fic itself, right? mm-hmm. so I, I, I'm super um, particular about nailing the colors every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So will you go out and buy specific papers for that project? Sometimes, but sometimes I like I just see like a cool pattern paper and I buy it and I keep it in case mm-hmm. I have an idea. Yeah. So sometimes I actually try to use the stuff I already have because. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, you know, create using what I already have. Sometimes if I need it, yeah, I'll go out and buy stuff. I was really interested in what you were doing because um, I'm also kind of a paper artist, not as much oh, origami, but um, I've done book binding and book arts, and I've done, like, paper cuts where I'm cutting uh, with an X-Acto knife. And so when I saw your work, I was, like, really excited because it felt like, you know, I've been on the internet a long time, like a long, long time, and I had definitely thought I had seen all of the things and I had not seen somebody doing sort of like fan origami especially it's not like it's a fandom that is intrinsically connected to like Japanese culture and origami making it's something that you know doesn't really have any intrinsic connection Um, and I was wondering what would you be interested in seeing um, some other kind of artist do that has some other kind of unique skill that might contribute to fandom in a way that maybe we haven't seen before? Wow, that's a very interesting question. I think, yeah, I mean, it's great. I know very few paper artists, like you're one of a new one, I guess, because uh, I think traditionally it's just um, digital art. 
Mm-hmm. And so every time I see something new, and bookbinding is really cool, by the mm-hmm. way. I wish I could do that someday. I guess I do see some stuff which I hadn't even considered um, could be used as art before. Like there's this one user who made like pie art. So like she baked a pie and yeah. fan art on it. And it was like super cool. Uh, so it's a getaway fox. And it was also for, uh, it was one for Star and one for Dreary. Uh, in the Harry Potter fandom, G E T, G E T, A W A Y. Oh, getaway fox. Fox, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so she's a fandom pie artist. Yeah, I mean, she also does um, digital art, but like she's also did this really cool thing of pie art, which, I mean, it's pretty cool to see like uh, artists in using other types of mediums to. Uh, just makes uh, creative things. Okay, update. And I've just looked up the art from Getaway Fox, who I've yeah. never heard of before today, and, and, I, and I was not familiar with this. Yeah. And I'm... It it really is. It really is. There's a sort of geometric wolf made up of different triangles of crust on the Mooney pie and on the Padfoot pie. It's like a geometric dog looking up at the sky and stars and the dog is made of chocolate so I think I like this one the most (laughs) (laughs) and uh, even though I'm usually more of a Remus fan but in this case I think the chocolate's gonna have to win Uh, yeah and uh, so she does pie art or he does pie art I don't don't know who this person is she does it are there any uh, final thoughts you'd like to leave us with for anybody who's maybe considering adding multimedia like visual art or music into fan fiction in a way that hasn't been done before I mean I think I would like to say that it's uh, there's always new ideas Mm-hmm. to think of new mediums that you might have an idea and maybe you've never seen it done before but you should just try because um, you never know it's going to be like it's going to turn out super great and you could like form a new wave of like a new creation mm-hmm. in fandom and I think multimedia is one of my favorite uh, forms of work I, I love it when people incorporate uh, even even when you see a thing that's like fake and art mm-hmm. or like if there's music uh, in it I think that's really cool so I think just go wild with your imagination mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to try anything whether I, I whether you're making pie or origami or doing some digital art I hope someone out there is going to make some stained glass like oh, <laughs> not so me but I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for it of course if they're making stained glass in tribute to some other person's story like that is the highest honor that your story can receive as a writer I hope I deserve some stained glass one day <laughs> but I just want to thank you CBG and why don't you share your URL and where we can find you online to see your work of course thank you so much for having me so uh, my url everywhere my username is the same i'm crazy but good you can find me on tumblr eo3 yeah with the same username okay thank you so much thank you the next interview you'll be hearing is with ruby um she was a really interesting person to talk to but i want to apologize in advance for some of the poor quality audio so today um i've brought on ruby she is the author of one of my favorite still ongoing fan fictions called Darklands. Um, And I decided to interview her because in addition to the main body of the text that she's writing, she's also included many kind of like scraps and letters, um, text written on the back of receipts, on envelopes, and they make up a significant portion of what I would call like a a really important section of the story. And they sort of, um, throughout the story, um, 
there's a, a main narrative portion and then there's also kind of an epistolary portion. Um, and so I was interested in kind of how Ruby came to this idea of including these scraps and pieces of paper that are either written in handwriting or appear to be newspaper cutouts and clippings. So Ruby lives in Chicago, so we have the least aggressive time difference of any of the people I've interviewed. <laughs> I have not managed to find anyone in EST yet. Um, so Ruby, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and talk about how you came to fandom, what, what fandoms you write for, and kind of what your process is. Yeah, thanks, Lonnie. Um, this is really cool. Yeah, so let me see. My my fandom history is a little odd. Um, I wasn't into it until college. Um, I honestly, this is not me trying to sound like unrelatable, but I was kind of well-adjusted in high school. Um, <laughs> I like, I don't know. I, I had a boyfriend. I just like was, I did have a Tumblr, but it was like an aesthetic blog mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and I remember the, the first fan fiction I read was um, a friend and I, after our English class where we were doing Shakespeare, mm-hmm. being like, do you think anyone's ever written, like, Othello and Iago gay fan fiction? <laughs> and the answer is yes. So, but, so like, you knew what it was, you just had never written I knew, I knew what it was, I just had never... I didn't, like, look down on it or anything, I was just, like, just not, just not super my thing. I was, like, fans of things. I was really into, like, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, obviously, when I was a kid. Um, wasn't super into fan fiction until college i you know kind of very quickly like came out finally um and uh became very quickly obsessed with like lame is that was actually my kind of then i i like learned about the fandom side of tumblr and you know from there kind of went through a string of different fandoms i was in i was into one direction for a long time for like a year or two um that was bizarre um and then I was into, like, Steve Bucky for a while. Um, yeah. So, so you went through the, like, t- like various Tumblr kind of fandoms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was, I don't know, I, I, I never really got the super hulock thing. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I felt kind of weird in fandom spaces for a long time because I was brand new to it, but also, like, older. Yeah, so, so I felt so like I was learning things. Yeah, most people I've met who are interested in fandom at all will say that they got into it, you know, when they were first old enough to use the internet, like, by mm-hmm. themselves. So mm-hmm. it's kind of unusual to meet somebody who only got into it as an adult, unless yeah. unless they they were in, like, original, like, 1970s, like, mailing list <laughs> fandoms, which I actually think is... I think it's super cool that women, like, mailed each other fan fiction. Oh, they yeah. They had to, like, handwrite the first draft and then type. For like, sure. Uh, th- that's a that's a story for another time. But yeah, it is kind of unusual to come to it when you're sort of older. Um, mm-hmm. Did you find like, you know, if you're not exposed to that kind of culture when you're really young, it might come across as really weird if you first get into it when you're older. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I I don't know. I I guess I found it kind of odd but I it's not like I wasn't totally aware of it like it was always kind of like on the periphery of like my tumblr experience um mm-hmm. you know and I just never thought I would be a part of it um but then I don't know I saw that playing this movie and I was going through some stuff and I just like kind of went I was like dove head first I was like okay I'm just gonna 
do this. And so then I, I, I very quickly kind of became one of those weird people. And like, <laughs> looking back, you know, would post the cringiest stuff that most people got out of their system when they were 14. And I was there 18, <laughs> like being a weirdo. But um, yeah, so I don't know, it was weird. But then I very quickly became inundated with it and mm-hmm. became it myself, I guess. When when would when did you first start kind of writing and like actually publishing online like your own stories? Let me see. I think the first thing I published, which is now deleted, it was when I was into One Direction, <laughs> and it was a joke. It was a joke fan fiction about Zane. It's so fucking stupid. It was about like Zane and, and Niall like isn't pretending. It, is they- it Neil or Niall? Niall. Oh my god, I've been saying it wrong in my head all these years. Oh yeah. Um, it was so stupid. It was like, they were pretending they were Pokemon. It was, I, I can't even talk about it. It was so dumb. I, I deleted it um, lot, many years ago. But yeah, no, I was I was never like serious about writing mm-hmm. fan fiction um, until after college, honestly. That's, mm-hmm. that's like when I wrote my first real thing. Um, did you find like somebody else's work that kind of inspired you or made you think oh actually this can be a deeper form of art or this can be something you know a little bit more adult yeah I think it was around the time that I got into Wolfstar mm-hmm. is when I <laughs> I'm not I'm not laughing at you I'm laughing because I, I have a very similar narrative oh really yeah like where um you know what like I was into Harry Potter when I was really young like nine years old and whatever and I had seen fan fiction online and at the time I was a little kid so like no matter how badly written it was like it would have to be really bad to strike me as badly written because I was so young and mm-hmm. then I kind of became interested in other things like other fandoms and whatever and then you know years passed and then when I was maybe 15 or 16 I came across the shoebox project and I was not even really a fan of like I was not really interested in Remus and Sirius's characters at that time but I sort of people were like oh this is so great you don't understand this is better than your average whatever so I I took a look at it and it immediately appealed to me because it had pictures and um I read it and I I was just kind of like oh like you could write a fan fiction that doesn't sound like a 12 year old like you could write something that has some merit to it like it doesn't have to it doesn't have to come across the way a lot of fan fictions do. Like, you could do it as an adult. Yeah, it's really funny you mention the Shoebox Project because um, I think that really is how I got into writing um, fan fiction. My my first job um, out of college was at a bookstore. It was a big bookstore. so like, like a lot a romantic of... comedy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it was like a big bookstore. So there were like a lot of different rooms. So I could be like behind a register and like nobody would be around. Mm-hmm. And there were security cameras. So I couldn't like read mm-hmm. when I was behind the desk. Um, but I could have my phone out because mm-hmm. like there was a little ledge where I could kind of like just prop it and yeah. it was like invisible to the cameras. And so I was just trying to find like a good recommendation. And my friend, actually the same friend who we read Othello Iago mm-hmm. <laughs> fan fiction in high school. She recommended the Shoebox Project. Um, and that's what really got me into uh, Remus and Sirius. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Darklands, which is the story, um, which was how I found you. There was like an expansiveness to the story that I felt like it, it you extended beyond scenes in Britain. You created settings that weren't present in canon, uh, a sense of history and culture 
for the magical world that extended well beyond canon and felt a little bit more mature. And that, that really appealed to me. I liked the academic components. For those of you who are not aware of this story, it starts with um, Remus abroad in kind of the 1980s, working as like a professor or an assistant professor in, was it Morocco or what country was it again? Uh, Spain. It was Spain, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, there's really a sense of setting. Like, it, it feels like a different country. Um, there's a lot of description, um, and Ruby engages with kind of different overlapping cultures in Spain. Um, and, and that felt to me very sophisticated. Like, I really enjoyed it, even before, like, you can get quite a way into the story before you realize how many little scraps and pictures there's going to be. Um, <laughs> So why don't you talk a little bit about that and like the genesis of Darklands? Well, thank you. That's um, I appreciate what you had to say. Um, there's a lot of different things that inspired it. I think most directly, I went. My girlfriend and I went on a trip to Granada, Spain, which is where that first part of it takes place, and it's it's like my favorite city in Europe. It's there's something really like not to sound corny, but like magical about it. It's like in the mountains, like tiny little alleyways <laughs> that are like crumbling and. Um, it's like often not very picturesque, still beautiful. And then it was it was kind of going to the Alhambra, um, which is that really kind of solidified it for me. I was like, this could be a place like maybe a magic school. I don't know. I was just the gears were turning. Um, I was kind of thinking at that point about writing a story about the the lost years, I guess is what mm-hmm. they're called. Um, you know, where Remus is just kind of fucking around by himself. Depressed. Uh, I'm glad you explained for our listeners, but I very much know because I have like <laughs> entire rec lists that are just the travel logs, I call them. Like, well, all we get from Pottermore is that he worked like menial jobs below his pay grade, which I believe, but at the same time, like he had to have some qualifications in order to get the the job, right? Like the dark defense job you know so I, I i just think it's like you decide like the writer decides like pottermore is like when i like it it's true and exactly when I don't like it it never happened honestly I, it's it's like no in no way more true to me than like any random fan fiction that exists but it is it is fun to get some inspiration from it yeah, like i've you, i've incorporated some facts yeah, like you sometimes you find a kernel and you're like, I like that. And then you find a kernel you don't like and you're like, that's a lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I took a lot of my interpretation about like Ramus's home life and like his parents from Pottermore. But like, that's that's about it. But um, I just I just think it's interesting to like give him um, stuff to do that's like related to dark creatures, because obviously in Prisoner of Azkaban, you, like, he's an expert in this kind of stuff, and it's not just because he's a werewolf, it's because he's clearly, like, studied this stuff in some capacity, so I think, yeah, so I kind of got the idea of the letter component through another, what I would call a major, major influence on the story. I don't know if you were ever into, like, Marvel or Steve Bucky, but there is a multimedia fic called The Thirteen Letters, um, which is actually part of a larger series called, I think it's called Not Easily Conquered. It's like very famous within Steve Mucky world, but um, basically it's like a an alternate, like a canon divergence kind of thing, where mm-hmm. instead of Steve Rogers getting like buried in the ice for decades, he like lives, whereas Bucky is presumed dead. And then sometime in like the 60s or 70s, um, there's a leak of 
letters that Bucky had written to Steve, um, but hadn't sent. And so kind of like, and it makes headlines, of course, because Steve is famous. Um, so this was a story I was really into in like 2015, maybe. Um, so that was definitely like in my psyche. And I think that's where that little kernel came from of like finding correspondence from someone who you are trying to get over for whatever reason um and you know maybe it's really painful to actually go through that correspondence but maybe you should um and how it can kind of change change the trajectory of the story so that's that's kind of where i got that idea for the letter component and then yeah having them kind of meet in the middle so for anyone listening who hasn't read the story, there's a there's a part that involves like court transcripts that are very mm-hmm. important. And um, one thing I really enjoyed is that um, the transcripts are sort of typed out and it looks like a typewriter on paper. And then as you get to the more relevant and important material that might exonerate Sirius, more and more stuff is getting redacted with like a black bar over it until there's like basically nothing that isn't redacted other than like you know basic art like the and 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 like excuse me your honor but then like everything is redacted you could have just written if this wasn't a multimedia piece you could have just said most of it was redacted or whatever but i think like seeing that gradual transition into more and more text getting redacted as you get to sort of the heart of the matter i thought was like very effective i also liked i think there were some like receipts from restaurants that had notes written on the back um, yeah, I think, I think there was something where, you know, it was like made to look like it was written on a paper and then it was like, this was like an electric bill. Um, I don't think I got quite creative enough to like have, you know, bits of the actual paper, but yeah, I was trying to be broad, like trying to get the idea that he was grabbing whatever paper was nearest to him. You know, there's, like, notebook paper, there's, like, random, like, little legal pads that he's been writing on, mm-hmm. like, empty envelopes, that kind of thing. And how did you learn how to sort of embed it into the story so that the text can be highlighted and read by a screen reader? So it's not just the <clears> text, <throat> like, you could have this read aloud to you if you had it. Once I realized that the letters were going to be such a major component of the story. That's when I started thinking like maybe I could like do something with them. Cause you know, I've written stories before where there's like a letter, you know, yeah. and I feel like to do it in anything but italics would like draw unnecessary attention to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's just like one little thing. Yeah. Um, but because there's so many here, I started to think like maybe I could do something cool with this. And my first thought was maybe I could write these, like handwrite these. Yeah. On on like any sort of scraps I found and take pictures and then upload the pictures to to AO3. And I was I was kind of getting excited about it. I was like, oh, I could go find some like parchment paper and like burn the edges so that it looks like old. So I was getting pretty excited about that. But then of yeah. course I, I I remembered or probably realized, I don't think this was known to me at the time, but it wouldn't work with screen readers. And I wanted it to be accessible, obviously. So that kind of ruled that out. But then I kind of forgot about that idea for a while. Um, but then a couple days before I was going to post the first chapter, I was, I was doing some like random research because I like etiquette research because I had never posted a work in progress before. And I was kind of a little nervous and like kind of wringing my hands like, okay, well, what's the etiquette? Like, I know it's going to be explicit later on, but it's not right now. Should I tag it explicit to begin with? You know, like little, yeah. like, like 
like stupid little like the traditional way of yeah so I was I was ended up doing some research like about like AO3 I guess Mm -hmm. like conventions and through that I stumbled on a post that was talking about um uh work skins which are like um ways that you can incorporate um CSS and HTML which are like kind of basic web development coding languages um, into the fic to make it do certain things. And I kind of fell down this rabbit hole. There is um, a user on AO3 who I owe my life to. Their name is Latimberanza. And um, they have like an entire section of, they're like posted as fan fictions like on AO3, but they're like not, it's they're all like tutorials Mm -hmm. so there is like like just scrolling through there's like how to make uh, a choose your own adventure fic or how to make linked footnotes and that kind of thing and then there's one how to mimic letters flyer and stationery without using images and that one became like my bible um (laughs) so so yeah so I, i kind of realized that you know you can do this with css and it's it's like you know, it, it doesn't look totally real, you know? It's like you can, it's like the edges are very straight because you're just coding like a rectangle, you know, to, to be yeah, your page. So, like it doesn't have the quality of being a photo, but mm-hmm. it does have the quality of being accessible on mobile equally as well as it's accessible on the computer, which like a lot of photos wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't do that. <clears throat> yeah, that and the screen reader thing. So it felt like a pretty good compromise. Um for like being able to do something kind of cool with the letters while still being um, accessible. So, so yeah, so I, you know, and these are like very detailed um, like tutorials about like how to, you know, there's some part of the code that you need to put in as like basically a CSS styles sheet, which is, which on AO3 is like your work skin. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the actual fic, there's a place where you can like select a skin. And I think there's like preloaded ones for people who are writing like Homestuck fanfic that like needs to kind of be, I, I, I'm not, I don't you know what? Homestuck. People have tried to explain Homestuck to me and <laughs> I, it doesn't matter how much, like it, I still don't understand. I don't understand. But anyway, so, so to do what, what I was doing, you like make your own skin and, um, so yeah, I was just like looking through this tutorial um, and it'll say like, here is how you can mimic a sheet of notebook paper. And it's basically just like a white rectangle with rounded corners mm-hmm. and a gradient where it's like, okay, for 24 pixels, it's going to be white. And then for one pixel, it's going to be blue. And then that repeats. And so that ends up looking like, um, you know, like notebook yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like this roundabout creative way to approximate what real paper might look like mm-hmm. that I found cool. And how, um, did, how did you get the ones that actually look like textured parchment, parchment? Yeah, those are, um, that's where you make, like, make the rectangle, but then you say, like, I want the background image to be something. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so then you have to, like, find whatever background image you want, and then save it you can't just like link to where it is online because you know it could disappear so you like save it and i think a lot of people try to upload it to like imgur or something like or photo bucket 
I just uploaded it to like a private Tumblr, like one of my side accounts. Yeah. Uploaded it there and then used that URL in the code. Are there any other writers or stories you would recommend that have that multimedia component? I mean, not to be like, I recommend the shoebox project. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous, but that, that was kind of my first foray into fanfiction that could do that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that in that one, they actually do like handwrite some of the letters, so it's like not accessible to screen readers, but still really cool. Um, but there are people, there are YouTube videos of people reading the story aloud, so even if you, you, you oh, true. hear the, like there are audiobooks of it by now. That's true. Oh my god, yeah. But on, honestly, I, I, this, this, I, I don't think you're into Steve Bucky, but this story um, is really cool from a multimedia perspective. It's like, so his like letters leak and basically there's like, it keeps popping out from the time of the story to like present day. Mm -hmm. And then it's like really, it gets really metatextual. It's like um, people in the present day are like having classes about these published letters because they're like a work of literature now and like people tweeting about them and people like making Tumblr posts about them. And that was kind of um, the first time I realized that you can really like go all out. Yeah. And like, go, go <laughs> you, know, you can do anything. So anyways, um, I wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, and of course we want to give you a chance to promote your work. So why don't you tell us where we can find you online, like your username, your handle, and what people should check out. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, no, thank you for having me. This was really fun. Um, uh, yeah, you can find my fanfiction if you want. <laughs> it's, it's on AO3. Um, my username is Orestes Fasting, which is an embarrassing Les Mis reference. Um, O-R-E-S. Like um, well, in that Ann Carson is referencing the same people that Victor Hugo was referencing when it, yeah, you know these yeah. these these figures. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, Rusty's fasting was like the title of a chapter in in Les Mis. Um, okay. Yeah, very geeky. Um, uh, yeah, so that's me. Um, I the only thing I've been working on for the past year and a half is this story. Um, I'm an extremely slow writer. Um, and also, I was in grad school this past year, so I. Like, last summer, I posted the first, like, six or seven on a really good schedule, like, every week. Um, and then I just totally fell off the map, and now I've been doing it, like, every three months, which is a bummer. But now I'm out of grad school, so hopefully I can get back onto a better schedule and finish Darklands up by the end of the year. That's my goal. Thanks, Ruby. Uh, we'll make sure to check out your work online, and I really appreciated having you on the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciated being here. Thanks for listening to my interviews with CBG and Ruby. And of course, I want to thank our guests. Um, there is a third interview with another um, fan fiction multimedia artist and writer, which will be coming out in a few months because it was impossible to include that interview in this episode without running way over time. Um, so please uh, look forward to that interview, which should be coming out sometime in the winter. And we look forward to uh, podcasting with you in our next episode episode where I'll be back with Joe. Bye for now.